Hello, I'm Zeb Newworth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based, and humanistic system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, the topic today is a follow-up. It's part two to an interview we posted on November 29th of 2023, about three weeks ago. It was episode number 162 with Neil Friedman, the COO and co-founder of Body Metrics. The episode was titled Addressing Racial Bias in Pulse Oximetry Measurement. I would urge you to listen to that episode if you haven't already. This topic is one of the most charged uh, I've come across and discussed on this podcast, and the story is literally unfolding uh, as we speak. Um, this is a serious issue that has had some serious attention, but yet there are a lot of unanswered questions here, and, and this is the reason I'm so excited and the reason I I had a follow-up here. I really wanted to talk to an expert in this area, and that expert is Dr. Meyer Krieger. Dr. Krieger is a professor emeritus of medicine at the Yale School of Medicine. He is a renowned sleep disorder specialist. Previous to his role at Yale, he had been professor of medicine at the University of Manitoba, where he was director of the Sleep Disorder Center at the St. Boniface Hospital Research Center in Winnipeg. That was the first sleep study lab in Canada, as far as I know. He is the chief editor of the most widely used textbook in sleep medicine, The Principles and Practice of Sleep Medicine. He has published more than 300 peer-reviewed articles and book chapters. He's also published a number of books geared for public consumption, one of which is The Mystery of Sleep. Another is Sleep in Art. He has served as the president of both the Canadian Sleep Society and the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, and has served as chair of the board of directors of the National Sleep Foundation. Dr. Krieger, uh, really appreciate you being here. Uh, welcome to Creating New Healthcare. Thank you. This is really an important topic. Well, thank you for saying that, and, and I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. I do want to also share with folks that you've been working with Neil Friedman. You are a part of the Bodometrics and have contributed to their newest product line, uh, these pulse oximeters, the Circle Pro that measures more accurately blood oxygen levels in people of color. And just wanted to state that so people are aware that you have that association and affiliation. Yeah, I'm a scientific advisor to the company and help look at the data among Black patients and Black subjects to make sure that the oximeter was, in fact, accurate in that population. How long have you been aware, as a physician scientist in this area, that there was a problem, a racial disparity in pulse oximetry measurement? Um, at least 20 or 30 years 20 years ago, uh, I may be off by a couple of years here, there was an article uh, from Dr. Severinghouse's uh, lab in San Francisco that indicated that there was a problem with pulse oximetry in, in people of color. And uh, I've been writing uh, book chapters in, in my book, Principles and Practice of Sleep Medicine. And several editions ago, I pointed out problems with oximetry that people need to pay attention to. Now, what happened during COVID, what happened during COVID is all of a sudden there was a concern that oximetry 
in African Americans and people with dark skin pigment may be a big problem. And that was even before the article uh, or the letter in the New England Journal in December of 2020, there was actually um, an, an article in the Boston Review by a professor from MIT who wrote an article that was called How a Popular Medical Device Encodes Racial Bias. And what this article was about was oximetry during COVID. Now, at the beginning of COVID, there was a huge death rate among African-Americans, and part of it was really not understood, and we don't really know all the reasons why there was this very high death rate among that population, but it became apparent that that was something that we needed to think about, and that was something that needed to be sorted out. And, and there are still troubling things going on here. And one of the things that's very troubling, I don't know if you've gone into a drugstore and looked at the fact that they sell oximeters uh, and whether you've gone on Amazon to see whether they sell oximeters, the vast majority of oximeters being sold uh, um, in these kind of outlets have not been FDA approved. And so this, to me, is like a real important issue. Let me go back with you for before we jump into the, the issue you just raised about the pulse oximeters being sold uh, across the counter uh, or online. So going back to pre-COVID, over the past 20 years, as you said, you've, you've known and others have known there's been an issue here. Why wasn't there more research to really identify this problem in pulse oximeters. I, I, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to blame anyone. I, I just don't understand. I mean, it's 20 years is a long time not to, yeah, have to come yeah, up with the 20, definitive answer. Yeah. 20 years is a very long time. And up to COVID, up to COVID, there was no great rush for consumers to buy the product. You know, th there was no reason for the general public to go out and buy oximeters so people um, who knew about oximetry, who were measuring blood oxygen levels in sleep labs and so forth and in ICUs, they were aware of the potential problems, but it wasn't until COVID when all of a sudden systems were actually telling patients, patients would come to the emergency room with, with an infection, they'd be very, very sick, and they were told, go out and, and get a an oximeter. And sometimes I have heard of, of these healthcare systems selling oximeters to patients. And some of the ones that they sold were not FDA approved. So wait, wait, but so, so, so Dr. Krieger, so going back again, pre-COVID for a moment. So I went to medical school. I did a residency in internal medicine. I've spent years as an attending physician. I've been in and out of the ICUs, uh, intensive care units and, and cardiac care units in emergency rooms, I never once heard anyone or saw any direction or guidance around realizing that there was a difference. I mean, this was the first in the last you know year or two as a, a couple of articles have come out and in, in both in the public domain and in the literature, it's created some awareness on my part, but no one ever said to me when I was in the ICU as a, as a medical student or a resident, or even as an attending physician, 
that you should be aware that pulse oximeters, whether that be in the intensive care unit, in the cardiac care unit, in the emergency room, that you need to be more careful in people of color because it may be inaccurate. So I'm just curious, from what you know, were there protocols around that or was it just something that was sort of loosely known? I, I And again, I'm just asking, I'm just asking the question. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was loosely known. It was very well known among people that did a, uh, that used oximeters a lot for, uh, in sleep laboratories. So in the book chapters that I wrote about uh, about monitoring during sleep, this was mentioned probably in the last two or three editions way before COVID. And so there, many, many doctors have known about the, the problem, but it seems like the doctors working in the ICU world were not aware of this. Uh, and people working in the emergency rooms were not aware of this. Because I remember very early on in COVID, there were articles like in the New York Times uh, talking about that there were patients that had strange measurements using oximeters where the oximeter would read 50% and the patient would be totally sort of conscious and not have any sort of symptoms, which I know is physically impossible. In other words, the, the there was a great deal that many doctors did not know when confronted with new patients with you know and had to understand the instruments that they were actually using and that is actually a great failing in medicine where people very often will measure things and not understand what they are measuring what the pitfalls are and what to do about it that's a great point, and I, I appreciate the objectivity of that. It probably goes beyond this notion of racial bias. It sounds like it's a bigger issue, which needs to be addressed. And what I'm hearing from you is that at least in the sleep world, the sleep medicine world, doctors were aware of this. You know, what's a little shocking and surprising is that in the emergency departments and in, in intensive care units and cardiac care units, that those doctors who use pulse oximeters all the time to make critical decisions were not aware. That's greatly concerning. And for me, leaves a, a question again, what's been going on for the past you know, couple of decades that people were not aware of it? Let's just leave that for a second and let's move into the COVID domain where, again, over the last three years has been an incredible flurry of articles and studies written in peer-reviewed journals, uh, a lot in the news. And of course, these letters from senators and from attorney generals of states writing to the FDA, expressing tremendous concern based on these studies. So COVID happens. And as you point out, and, and as I experienced as a provider on the provider side, you were taking care of lots of patients, obviously people coming into the emergency rooms, uh, people coming into the hospitals, but also a lot of people at home. And there is this just explosion of consumption of pulse oximeters. Everyone goes out and is told to order, buy a pulse oximeter to have at home uh, if you're sick. I know that hospitals across the country, and I participated in this as well, we did our best. We bought pulse oximeters in bulk. We packaged them up with thermometers and other equipment, and we were sending these packets into people's homes so that they could take these measurements and report these measurements through, as you mentioned, through telehealth, through the phone, 
or through video telemonitors, report this to physicians and nurses so that we could provide daily care to people who were sick with COVID. Uh, and obviously the, the reason being that if their blood oxygen levels became dangerously low, this was an indication that they should come into the hospital, they should come into the emergency room, that they needed more than the care that could just be delivered at home. That's how I would characterize it again, just to review so we have the bigger picture here. Is that the way you would say it or would you would you modify what I just said? Oh, yeah. I mean, what you said is absolutely bang on. You know, so now we're, we're in the COVID era. Um, pulse oximeters are now in the public domain. Everyone is going out, every hospital system, every, you know, provider. We're sending these pulse oximeters out. People are buying them in droves. People are depending on these things in their homes, as well as, again, in the emergency departments, in the ICUs. And everyone is using them. To your point, and as we know, we're seeing the death rates amongst people of color, amongst black people, that is over twice, relatively speaking, twice the death rate amongst white people. As you point out, we're not really clear yet on, we definitely weren't clear what was going on then. I'm not sure we're, we, we have the answers now, but this could have potentially contributed to that. And again, I was in this just like everyone else as a provider, had no clue that the, I don't even know how many, hundreds of thousands of pulse oximeters we were sending out to people were potentially inaccurate in people of color. I just don't understand that. And I guess my question to you is, I mean, you you were aware of this. What was your mindset about this? And again, I don't recall anyone talking about this or even you know mentioning it or, or anything going on in the literature, at least at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, in, in the medical literature, there there wasn't much at all, except that people were noticing and reporting uh, sort of very abnormal oxygen saturation readings. So, however, in sort of on the web, uh, as I mentioned, this this researcher from MIT, she wrote another article uh, later on, ab about a year after the start of, of the COVID pandemic, talking about racial bias again in oximetry. And it's almost like the FDA was seemed to be unaware of the problem, uh, which is sort of shocking. I just want to point out about oximeters. Oximeters are sort of spot measurements. The time when people desaturate the most is during sleep. And that is critically important for people to recognize. So simply giving someone an oximeter and telling them, okay, uh, measure your blood oxygen, and it turns out to be, uh, you know, 92% or something like that, nothing to worry about. That person's oxygen saturation during sleep could drop dramatically into the 80s or 70s. So the spot measurement issue is another one that needs to be uh, thought about. And the other thing that needs to be thought about is that there are devices, not just, uh, you know, finger oximeters that are being used. Some of the watches, some of the smart watches measure oxygen saturation as well. Again, they are spot measurements. They're measuring um, on the back of the wrist where there isn't fabulous circulation. So these oximeters that are in smart uh, watches, uh, as an example, 
they make their measurements on the back of the wrist where circulation is not fantastic, and they only make their measurements episodically. You know, the, the most widely used watch, I won't mention the name, uh, makes a measurement every 15 minutes. That's not adequate. If you want to get a, a measurement during the, the night, just to, as an example. So, so people need to be aware of the accuracy of whatever device is being interrogated. In the sleep clinic, uh, over, over the years, I've had lots of patients coming in telling me about, you know, my, my smart watch or this ring or this device gives me this information. And a lot of it, I know, isn't very accurate. Right. I want to go back to the COVID because I, I do think it's important just for me, at least to clarify my understanding of this now given our conversation and what I've read. So it sounds like there were a number of problems when it came to measuring blood oxygen levels during the pandemic. The first is that the pulse oximeters, and I, and I do want, I'm going to ask a pointed question about this, were potentially less accurate or inaccurate in people of color. So that was problem number one that for the most part, no one was aware of, at least most people were not aware of him. And if we were, we weren't doing anything about it. So that was number one. Number two, as you point out, these measurements were spot measurements and they were taken during the day. And again, as you, as you pointed out, the blood oxygen levels uh, fall when you sleep. And so we weren't getting uh, the worst oxygen levels from patients. And that could have been another contributing factor as well, that these were single measurements and they weren't uh, during sleep. And so, you know, I'm going to infer that given those two or three issues that low oxygen levels were missed in a significant amount of people, especially people of color during the pandemic. And that could have led to underdiagnosing low oxygen levels and could have led to delays in getting people into the emergency rooms and into the hospital for more treatment, whether that be with antibiotics or oxygen or into the ICUs where they potentially needed to get, you know, required intubation uh, to be put on ventilators, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what I'm going to infer. And I, I'd like your expert opinion on that. Is that is that what you're inferring or would you go even further than that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm inferring that. And, and uh, it is very likely that people died because of these erroneous measurements. And we don't know how many, this is a big unknown. Maybe um, we will know the answer to that one day. You know, COVID is not gone. I mean, we're, we're still seeing acute cases and we're certainly seeing a lot of long COVID cases. Well, COVID is not gone, as you point out. And every year there's the flu and, and people are still getting their oxygen measurements with pulse oximeters. As to your point, I'm assuming most of which are over the counter. And to your point, they're not FDA approved. And so this is a continuing situation. I have to say, again, I, I'm still in shock at kind of this realization that you pointed out in terms of the potential number of deaths and harm that occurred during the pandemic. 
and also contributing to long COVID because of this issue, you know, the the inaccuracy of the measurement and and are not using not, not doing it the right way. Let me ask you a very, very pointed question, though, because when I talk to some colleagues about this issue, and again, you look at the literature, the, the response I get is, well, we're not really sure from the research how significant a problem this is. And, you know, again, there have been some articles, but definitively, people are just like, I'm not really sure if it's clinically significant. And so... I want to ask you, as an expert in this area with decades of experience in publications, can you give us a sense of, you know, is this a problem just in numbers or is this a problem that's actually translated, as we've just discussed, into actually impacting people's lives? Oh, uh, I think it impacts pe people's lives. One of the things I, I, you know, I thought about is that the FDA has recently, for example, said that certain types of cold medicines could not be sold anymore because they were shown not to be effective. And these products, from what I understand, have been removed from the shelves of, uh, of pharmacies. My feeling is they should do the same thing with oximeters. Oximetry is an, blood oxygen is an important measurement, terrifically important. And if the oximeters out there have not been shown to be accurate and have not been approved by the FDA, should they be available for, you know, for a consumer to actually buy? My own feeling is no, that they should be not be made available. I mean, there are certain measurements that we know are important. For example, glucose, every device that measures glucose out there has been FDA approved. Why? Because if you make a mistake and the person takes a, a dose of insulin that that is too big or too small, there could be catastrophic outcomes. I feel the same way about oximetry and, and oximeters, that it's an important measurement. And if a device is going to be made available to the general public, it needs to be scrutinized and approved by the FDA. What you just said sounds very similar to what some Congress people have written to the FDA about, as well as the 25 attorney generals who just wrote last month to the FDA. Sounds very, very similar, similar message about at least at a minimum putting very, very explicit warnings uh, on these devices being sold. And if not, to your point, taking them off the market. I guess my two questions are, number one, if we are still unsure about the extent of this, why hasn't there been a, a major push for more research, number one, to give us more definitive answers? And I mean, given the fact that we're talking about a significant percentage of the American population that is affected by these inaccuracies in oxygen measurement. And number two, why hasn't it either been taken off these, these devices been taken off the market or had warnings? I mean, do you have any sense of, of that? Well, I mean, I think part of the answer to that is is bureaucracy, because things take a long time to happen in, in government agencies. They have known since December 2020 that there is a problem, and now it's December 2023. And there hasn't been anything that they've done to actually change anything. 
right? They, they've had meetings there. They've scheduled another meeting for, I guess it's February, 2024. So the movement has been very, very, very slow. And I think that's sort of part of it. You know, if I were working for the FDA and somebody came to me with, you know, this kind of data, just a letter from the New England Journal, I would have said, oh, my goodness, we need to do something about this right now. And that didn't happen. Maybe turning it around a little bit, the FDA is taking action. They did put out this letter for public uh, feedback, uh, this report, and uh, which I did read, by the way, and I want to ask you about. And they are having a session this coming February 2nd to discuss this. And their focus is largely around uh, the approval of devices and 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 getting feedback on on what's the best way to approve these devices and make sure that they are in fact more accurate. So action is being taken at this very very moment. I'm curious. I don't know if you've read their report, uh, their discussion report, or uh, have any comments about what the FDA is doing now to remedy this situation. Well, I'm one one of the uh, things that they need to remedy, and I'm guessing that this is in the back of their mind, is that currently to get FDA approved, you don't need to give the FDA a whole lot of data. It needs to be 12 subjects of whom two are of dark skin pigment. You know, th so these two people represent you know, the, the, the dark skinned people, the billions of dark skinned people on this planet. And to me, that's not enough. You know, in other words, it's simply not enough. It may have been enough 20 or 30 years ago when it was actually difficult to do this kind of work of uh, doing blood gases um, in a large number of, of subjects. But that, that's no longer the case. And I think at the very least, they need to, again, this is just my opinion, is that they need to increase the number of subjects and the amount of data that they require for approval. And for the devices that are already approved, maybe what they need to do is, you know, send us more data in people of different uh, skin pigments uh, because we need to know that your that your device, which we've already approved, is in fact accurate. That's something that that I think should happen. Whether or not they're going to do that, I you know I just don't know what what they are going to do. What would you say to physicians and healthcare uh, executives and, and and administrators who are listening to this in terms of what's the advice you would have about this at this moment in time until the FDA you know, makes its changes. Yeah. So w one of the first things I would recommend to anybody running a hospital or a healthcare system is make sure that the oximeters that you're using in every single department of your institution has been FDA approved, you know, at the very least. And, and not, you know, I'm aware of clinics where, you know, somebody coming into the clinic, they would have their blood pressure checked, they would have their oximetry done and so forth. And they were, you know, and these cl clinics would be using like 10 to $20 oximeters that were not FDA approved and who knows how accurate they were. So that's the first thing that I would tell them. And I would tell them that based on the fact that 
in the future, they may be liable if something goes wrong with a patient where it can be shown that they were evaluated or tested with a non-FDA approved device. I mean, I know that sounds like obvious, but right now I don't know how much attention is being paid to that. And, and the other thing more to the general medical population, if you're making a measurement with any device, understand it, look at the, try to find whatever data is out there to, to you know, th that may help you in understanding the, the measurement. For example, with oximeters, the sampling rate is important. The filtering is important. And, uh, and just as an example, if you're using a continuously uh, recording oximeter, if it has a, uh, if it filters the, the signal and gives you a mean every 12 seconds or something like that, you're going to miss desaturations. In other words, you need to understand the instruments that you are using. You know, just carrying this to, to the American public, I mean, there are still hundreds and hundreds of thousands, not millions of people, patients out there who are using over-the-counter pulse oximeters and telling their doctors and nurses what their oxygen levels are. What's your message to both the, the individuals, the patients, as well as the providers that are using these devices? Yeah. So one of the things that I would do, and I don't have the website right in front of me right now, but the FDA, on the FDA's website, you can actually search for oximeters by name, by, by company. And if they've been approved, it'll pop up. And unless the person knows that they've been approved, they can go onto the FDA website and they may have to hunt around a little bit, but they will, they will be able to tell whether the device that they are using, that they've been handed, uh, that they have purchased is, has actually been approved. So that's at the very least. D Dr. Krieger, I have so many more questions. This is such an important topic. It is, like I said before, it's, it's heartbreaking to think about this and to think about the potential impact it's had on so many people. I'm hoping, you know, the reason I did the first interview and now following up with you in the second interview, I'm hoping just to get this message out there. And in fact, to your point, people can take some action now, even before the FDA's uh, advisory meeting on February 2nd, in terms of making sure that the equipment they're using is FDA approved. And if it's not FDA approved, uh, just be aware of that. So, you know, again, this is a message to healthcare administrators, executives, uh, physicians, providers, nurses, others out there, uh, whether you're working in hospital systems or clinics or provider groups, uh, insurance companies, et cetera. I, I think it's an important message and I think there's some action that could be taken off of it. This was a pleasure speaking with you and hopefully uh, people will pay attention to your message. Your message is an important one. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. And Dr. Krieger, as I do every episode, um, I conclude by thanking all the folks out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients and those of you out there who are supporting those who are taking care of patients. I and we truly appreciate you for what you do and recognize how critically important your work is to individuals, their families, their communities, and our society. This is Zeb Neuwirth on Creating a New Healthcare. My friends, until next time, be well.